You look marvelous today, and the worship was great. It's just a great atmosphere and presence here today, and I am so thrilled to be uh, sharing it with you. I look forward to opening the scripture here in just a few moments. We finished a series uh, in, entitled The Me I Want to Be, and our hopes was to inspire you and empower you to uh, change your personal culture and make some individual uh, adjustments to life and to move forward in life. And one of the things you may recall that I shared with you on the moment I, on the morning I was here was that choose one poor habit to break and one good habit to make. So choose one poor habit to break, one good habit to make, and try to get that done before Mother's Day. And I was wondering if anybody here had made that commitment. Ah, look over there. Come on. I got one. I got one. Hey, it's not too late for you to get on board. And uh, that's what moves our lives forward is when we target certain areas of our lives and we uh, decide to make improvements uh, and change our habits. So I want to continue to encourage you in that way. Thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, your attendance is strong this year. Thank you for your giving that is also very strong. God bless you for your tithe and your offerings and all that you do to make this church continue to move forward. We are strong. We are healthy. We are significant in the kingdom of God. And uh, we're right dead center of God's will. And that's a good place to be. Can you say amen? amen. Thank the Lord. Uh, we began a new series last Sunday uh, in talking about the table of the Lord. I think we're calling it Table Talk. Uh, and uh, Pastor Randon shared with you from Psalm 23 about uh, the, the shepherd's psalm and about how that um, David said he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And uh, I got great reports from that message. I know that you were blessed. Today I want to talk about lessons from the table of the Lord. Lessons from the table of the Lord. You know, table time is very precious in our, in our culture. Um, it's a time to talk, a time to reconnect, um, a time to really strengthen relationships. Uh, the Probably the most quality time you and I have in the course of a week is the time spent around the table. You know, some of my fondest memories growing up was when mom and dad and Joy and Faith and I would be sitting at our table and just being family eating together. Dad always had a certain place he sat, mom had a certain place, and the girls and I had a place, and and uh, that's when family seemed to epitomize was sitting around the table. And the, the culture we live in still incorporates that, but it has weakened it by scattering us with various activities and obligations. And families today are spending less and less time around the table. Uh, growing up or raising our children, our favorite time was Monday nights, because that was family night. And uh, we would always eat around the table with Randon and Kara and Hannah, and we'd usually end up in some kind of card game or dominoes afterwards, and those were some precious days with me. It was certainly the best years of mine and Renee's life, and we cherished those. So when I look back at that season, I think about the table and the times we had together. And sometimes uh, those table talks were serious, and sometimes they were full of laughter, and other times it might have been a little quiet. But at all times, it was a deeply relational building time. We see that throughout our culture. Um, you know, Renee and I still do date nights, um, and usually a date night's always going to incorporate going out to eat somewhere. So um, it's family, it's date nights. In addition to that, um, our holidays are all centered around eating at the table. 
Some of the greatest memories of my life and the greatest expectations I have in the future is around a big table overflowing with food at Thanksgiving and Christmas and, and maybe even the, uh, January 1st. Because a table is a place where people gather and uh, celebrate their relationship. And these times are very, very important to us. It isn't just uh, holidays and families and marriages, but it's also businesses. Much of the world operates on the principle that if you're expanding your business relationships, you go to lunch with someone. If you're strengthening a relationship or, or, or you're wanting to maintain an important relationship, you make certain that uh, you have lunch together. I have key people in my world outside my family that I make it a point to eat, some on a weekly, monthly basis, others on a quarterly basis, and some just once or twice a year. But those lunchers are important because it enhances and builds relationship. And important things are said at the table that might not have been said if we had not met for lunch. So I want to encourage you as families and as marriages and as business people to always use the table as a time of relationship building and even ministry. We'd do well to utilize those opportunities. Now, the same was true in the days of Jesus. We know that because in the writers of the Gospels, the account of the life and death of Jesus, we see the writers always recording events that took place around a table when Jesus would have been eating with friends and followers, and the events and the discussion that evolved in that setting are very important, and there's lessons to be learned from each one of them. And so today, I want us to take a moment, and I want us to look at some of the table talks that Jesus had and see what we might learn that can help us today. First of all, let's see who is at the table of the Lord. Well, we have Jesus Christ is at the table, and then we have Martha and Mary. These are the first characters that I want to talk to you about, and uh, we'll read from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. This reminds me of growing up as well. One of the fondest memories I have was eating with my family on Sunday mornings. Mom would always get up and start something to cook and would have it in the oven, and she'd already have it uh, laid out. And then we'd go to church, and, and uh, we'd all come home, and uh, she'd finish up the meal, and we'd sit down together and eat a delicious meal together. And uh, those were precious, precious moments and uh, now memories that I have in my mind. You know, I have two wonderful sisters, Joy and, and Faith, who's with me this morning. And uh, I distinctly remember how that my older sister, Joy, had the propensity to disappear just about the time it was cleanup time. And uh, there would always be somewhat of a disturbance in the house right after lunch because my older sister had a way of finding out something else that had to be done, someplace to be, and she'd leave everything on the table, and Mom and Faith and us would have to finish up. And so time after time, a great lunch would end with somewhat of an argument because Joy was just a little bit like Mary. She disappeared just at the right time when we really needed the help. Well, Martha goes to Jesus and appeals to him and said, Jesus, don't you care 
that I am working my fingers to the bone serving this whole crowd and Mary's sitting there at your feet and she's just hanging on every word? Don't you care that I'm doing all the work and she's doing all the listening and the hanging on every word and all into that? And Jesus came back with what must have been a surprising response. A surprising response. He said to her, Mary, Martha, first of all, he said, you are troubled about many things. You're worried. You're troubled. You're in a tizzy. You are all wrapped up in serving and fixing and making sure everything's right. But something more wonderful is happening at this table. And you have chosen to get so wrapped up in responsibilities, so wrapped up in good deeds and activities, that you're missing something far, far better. But Mary, she's chosen the good part. You know, life is built to consume every second and to give us nothing left over for the things we really desire and value in life. This culture, this society is designed to snatch every second you have and to cram into your day more than you can possibly do. We live at frantic paces and we have lists of responsibilities and duties and places to be and things we have to do. And everything is carefully timed out and everything has a slot and everything has to be in its place or our whole day is messed up. You see, this culture is designed to crowd out more important things in your life. It's designed to keep you so busy and at such a frantic pace that the important things that have eternal value get crowded out. You know, there are scores of people not in the house of God today, not because they don't love God and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, just because their life is too filled with responsibilities and good activities. And there virtually is no time left for God. They probably can't even remember the last time they opened the Bible and had a personal devotion. Or took some quiet time to be with God and Him alone. And find it very difficult to get themselves to the house of the Lord. So I wanted to take this moment from this lesson and talk to you about how that you have to be very careful never to let busyness override your time with God. Never let it override your worship in the house of God. Never let it override your participation in small groups and your private devotion. Regardless of how busy you are and how many good things you have your hands involved in, make sure that you choose the good part. The second thing I see that Jesus said was that Mary had chosen. Mary had chosen. You see, Mary could have chosen exactly what Martha had chosen, but she made a different choice. You see, Mary was, Martha was a victim of of this needs to be done and that needs to be done and this has got to be done like this. And she was a victim of circumstances that had swallowed her up. But somehow Mary stepped back and she said, I'm going to make a choice here. I'm not going to let my life get out of control, and I'm not going to let other things control me, but I'm going to make choices and determine what my priorities are, what I will do, what I will not do, and where I need to be and when I need to be there. You see, you and I have to stay in charge of our lives. If not, we lose control, and pretty soon God has been quickly pushed out of our lives. You can expand that to your marriage and your family, but you get the point. There's a lot of good things in life that can crowd out our spiritual nourishment and our spiritual uh, health. And I want to encourage you to, to be a Mary today and choose the better part. Notice that he said she's chosen the, bear, the better part, and he said it will not be taken away from her. I think he was saying two things here. First of all, he was saying, I'm not telling her to get up from this table and go wash dishes. The second thing he was saying was, what she receives at this table is a permanent endowment to her. 
There is some reward with cooking and cleaning and serving and and being a great host. There is a reward to that. But it's not a reward that lasts forever. Mary had chosen to spend her time doing something that had a perpetual reward and that would not be taken away from her. Every time you're in the house of the Lord, every time you're worshiping together in a small group, every time you're in a private moment of devotion and you're feeding your spirit and you're getting strong in the God, there is something being imparted to you that will not be taken away from you. And over and over again, what you get here this morning will be exactly what you need tomorrow. There's a deposit being made. So I want to ask you, are you a Martha or Mary? Let's see who else is at the table of the Lord. I see here in the back, there is a worshiper, a worshiper. Let's go to the book of Mark chapter 14, verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table. A woman came having an alabaster flask a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work. For me, for you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, this woman, what this woman has done, will also be told as a memorial to her. Can you say amen? So Jesus is sitting at the table of Simon, who was previously a leper, and a woman comes into the room, and she begins to uh, open a a huge, enormously expensive bottle of oil and pour it on his head and begin to anoint him. And around the table were others that didn't understand the value of her behavior, and they criticized her. Uh, She evidently ignored them, and finally Jesus... uh, exonerated her for what she had done. There's just a couple of lessons that we want to learn. Lesson two, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of an opportunity. You see, this worshiper saw an opportunity. She saw a golden moment, and she seized that moment and moved in and began to minister to Christ. She had an inkling of the importance of his ministry, the urgency of the hour, and his looming crucifix. And so as a result, she took the moment to, to give an elaborate gift and to worship him in a very powerful way. Now those sitting around said, you know what, that is some expensive oil right there, and that could have been sold, and we could have given that to the poor, because Jesus believes very strongly in giving to the poor, and so we should have sold that, not just poured it on his head. That was a complete waste. And Jesus came back to him and said, look, the poor you'll always have, and you can do whatever good thing you want to do with them anytime you want, but me, I'm not going to be here much longer. And this is an opportunity, an opportunity that's quickly passing. She's done this under my death, and this is the moment when it was time to spend some money. It was time to give an elaborate gift. It was time to pour worship and honor unto him that he was due because this is an opportunity. This is a moment. It says she's chosen the right thing. And wherever she goes, as, many, as long as this story is told, her name will be mentioned, and she'll be honored. Because she realized there was an opportunity, a time when something needed to be done. You know, you and I have to be keen to understand and to perceive spiritual opportunities. There are moments 
that are unique. Moments when something out of the ordinary needs to be done. Something needs to be done that would, might not be fitting in some other time. But there's openings in the Spirit and there's opportunities in God and there's, there's divine moments. And when we learn how to catch those moments, there, there's something to be given and something to be received. And I want to encourage you to be watching for divine moments, opportunities in the Spirit for you to give, for you to receive. We can sometimes rush through life with all of our busy schedules and slide right by the greatest opportunities that God has ever given us. Remember that God is the God of opportunities. Money doesn't fall out of heaven, but He gives us a job, skills and abilities, opportunities to earn a living. God is the God of opportunities. He opens spiritual doors and He gives us a window when we can step in and receive from God and, and, and give back to God and encounter God in some unique and wonderful way. But we can zoom right by that moment and miss it forever. I want to encourage you to be careful to capture spiritual moments that God might give to you. This worshiper came and offered to God in a timely way an extravagant gift. There are times when we need to give extravagantly. Sometimes it's what we give from financially. And sometimes it's what we give in worship. And sometimes it's what we give in service. But there are seasons of your life that you go above and beyond. Now, most of us work on some kind of a budget. So in my family budget, we have a certain amount of money that we give on a regular basis. And at the end of every year, we tally what we gave that year. And it's amazing uh, how, how close we are year after year to what we give in the course of a year because it's, it's, in, it's in a budget. But there are moments when it's fitting and timely to give extravagant gifts and go beyond that weekly giving and give something greater because it's an opportune moment that God is speaking to our hearts about something in particular. There are times that we need to take advantage of what God is doing for us. There are seasons in God. There's moments when He will speak to you and give you some spiritual gift in that moment that may not be available a few moments later. It could be in a church service when there, the things are aligned and a window's open up and God is doing something in that moment. And if you move in that moment, there is a dividend for you, but it's in that moment. It's not later or at convenience or let me think about it for a little while, but it's in that moment. There are times when God will whisper in your ear and talk to you about your future and talk to you about challenges and problems and big opportunities that you have, and He'll give you insight and direction, but it's in a moment. And sometimes the devil knows that God is about to download some word of wisdom to you. And so he'll make your world blow up. The baby needs a diaper. The cars run out of gas. The boss is calling and the wife needs you right now. And you're saying, but wait a minute, I, I, I sense that God is trying to speak to me about something right now. But I'll go do all these other things and I'll talk to him before I go to bed. And how often... He's silent before you go to bed. You can't put God off. You can't make an appointment with Him and say, come back later, God, I'm busy right now. You have to learn how that there's opening in the Spirit, and you've got to move quickly in that time and in that season. I find oftentimes that God speaks to me during worship services. Regardless of who I'm worshiping with, in those moments I'll be singing and worshiping God with all of my heart, and that's a prime time for a download. I've learned that oftentimes during worship is God will download bits of information for me. I've also found that there are times when, when I'm doing a menial task that we men sometimes like to do. 
Like, uh, you know, we like to cut the grass sometimes because just something about cutting that grass kind of disconnects us. And in moments like that, God can download things to us. It's kind of a no-brainer activity. We kind of got it on automatic pilot. It could be something else you do. You might be cleaning up or fixing or doing. I don't know. But there's activities that are kind of no-brainers when you just go through the motion. God can download something to you in that moment. I've also found that God downloads things to me early in the morning. I went to bed Friday night, had some things on my mind, kind of had it in my mind all night long. I can't say I worried or stayed up late, but it was on my mind. Before daylight, my eyes popped open. It was still on my mind, and I, and I got a word of wisdom, word of wisdom before the sun came up. I wasn't out of bed I wasn't on my knees. I was just kind of in that slumber state, you know, before you really get out of bed and get going with life. And I just got a word of wisdom right there. It was an opportunity. I captured that word in the moment. Later would get up and go about my day and, and utilize the word that God gave me in that time. So I'm just telling you, you've you got to look for those moments, those opportunities. This woman we're reading about was a worshiper, and she saw an opportunity, and she moved in that moment. And she left a legacy 2,000 years later that we continue to celebrate. If you want to do significant things, if you want your life to count, there's got to be spiritual moments that, that take you through life, that guide you, that give you strength and courage and direction and answers for life's questions. But we have to learn how to capture those moments. Let's see who else is at the table of the Lord. On this end... We have the 11. Anybody know who the 11 are? All right, they were the disciples. Why is it only 11? Weren't there 12? Why is it only 11? Come on, it's not really a trick question. Huh? Oh, yeah. It's 11 because the 12th was Judas and he had betrayed the Lord. And so immediately after his resurrection, we have this recorded in Mark 16, 14. Later he appeared, appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after his resurrection. His, he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand throne of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with accompanying signs Amen. So Jesus rose from the grave. And he is appearing for some 40 days to various groups of his followers. On one occasion, he met with 500 in a group, 500 men. And so on this occasion, he is at the table and he's talking to the 11. Now, he had lots of followers. But he was down to 11. These were the men that he had handpicked, chosen and trained, that were going to carry the work of God further. And so he sits down at the table with them and he begins to rebuke them. And specifically he rebuked them for their unbelief. He rebuked them for their lack of faith. Now, I'm thinking if I had been sitting at the table and I had been one of the 11, there's probably a lot of things he could have rebuked me for. I mean, I look at my life and I see things that aren't quite right and things that need to get better and all that. And I think if God sat at the table with me and he wanted to kind of tune me up a little bit, how many have been tuned up by your mom and dad, you know? You know, if he wanted to tune me up about something, there was lots of things he could have tuned me up about. But Jesus said, I want to rebuke you because you did not believe that I had arisen from the grave. 
First of all, he could have said, I told you I was going to die, and I told you I was coming back to life. I told you what was going to happen. And then when it happened, you didn't believe it. Not only did you believe what I told you, you didn't believe the eyewitnesses that saw me. The women that first found me gone and saw me alive came back and told you I was alive and you didn't believe them. You thought they were a bunch of woo airheads. He said, why did you believe? Why did you believe? You see, God was holding them to a level of faith that they were not holding themselves to. He was holding them accountable for being men of faith because he knew if they were going to move the kingdom of God and fulfill the mission on their life, they were going to have to operate at a high level of faith. But they were not, so he rebuked them. I remember growing up, um, our table time with Dad was always precious. What I wouldn't give to relive just one of those afternoon meals or Sunday after church meals. So at times, Dad would always, at times, Dad would choose to deal with things. So it wasn't always, what have you been doing, and you're wonderful, and you're great. Sometimes it was, we need to talk. Now, this was a good thing, because we knew that if Dad was going to try to tune us up about something, he wasn't ever going to get really loud or violent at the table, because we were at the family table. So it was going to be a good straightforward talk, but it wasn't going to get out of hand. And we knew that he wasn't going to pull out that big cowboy belt because we were at the table and we were having lunch. But we also knew that if something needed to be said, he'd get around to it because that's what happens at the table. And When you come to the table of the Lord, you have to be prepared for the Lord to tune you up a little bit. And I'm convinced there's a lot of people that don't go to church much because they can't take the tuning part. You know the part where you have to really face who you actually are and the life you're actually living and the real condition of things? When you really have to face to face with what you are and what you are not? When every week you kind of got to be held accountable for, you know, what's happening in life? And I believe some people just stay away from the house of God, not because they're bad people, they don't love God, just because they don't want the rebuke. They don't want the constant challenge, the constant reminder of what you should be doing that you're not doing. But when you come to the table of the Lord, there's plenty to eat and there's rich blessings and goodness from God. But somewhere along the way, there might be a rebuke. And that's just part of the table of the Lord. It's part of being family, part of being mom and dad, part of being children. Sometimes we have to just talk about things. So Jesus rebuked them for not believing his promise or the eyewitnesses. And he held them to a much higher standard of faith than they had held themselves to. And he goes on to say, these signs will follow them that believe. So first he says, I'm rebuking you because of your unbelief. And then he shows them where the standard is, what they're reaching for. Okay, this is what you're not doing. This is what I want to motivate you to reach for. People that really walk in a level of faith, people that walk in uh, faith and not fear, doubt, and unbelief, he said these are the signs, these are the indications. This is the evidence that they're walking at a level of faith. He said, first of all, He said to them, in my name, they will cast out demons. This is spiritual warfare. This is dealing with the unseen world that overlays the seen world. The world that is just beyond the thin veil between the natural world and the spiritual world. Learning how to deal in that realm. You see, everything that happens in this earth that you and I can see, taste, touch, and feel is a reflection of something that's going on in the invisible world that is overlaying the spirit, the natural world. And Jesus said, until you can begin to deal with demons in that level, you're not walking at the level of faith that I have called you to. 
And maybe he said, if you want to do for me what you say you want to do for me, you're going to have to raise your level of faith where you can operate in the spiritual realm and deal with spiritual demons and spiritual beings that you cannot see, but they're very real. So he rebuked them. And then he went on to say, not only will you cast out demons in my name, but you'll speak with new tongues. Now, speaking with tongues is when you speak in a language that you do not know how to speak in, neither do you understand the language, but the Lord empowers you to speak in that language. There's two categories. It could be a known language, a language that someone here on the earth might speak, or it could be an unknown language. We think he might be referring to the language of angels there, a heavenly language that maybe no one on earth understands. And the Bible says that this is a sign. It's a sign. It's a sign. So the level of faith that God wants me to operate on is the level of signs and wonders. Now, the person you probably work with every day does not get this signs and wonders stuff. So be smart about it. But if you're going to operate at a level of faith and operate where God said He wanted us to operate, we've got to learn how to speak the language of signs and wonders and understand how that God speaks and God acts in spiritual languages that are not common to man. And so he raises the bar for the apostles and he says, I want you to learn how to operate in signs and wonders. He goes on to say, they will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. Now, you probably all have heard about certain people in Christianity that pick up snakes and somehow prove that they have a lot of faith when the snake doesn't bite them. That is crazy. <laughs> Just crazy. That is definitely not what Jesus was talking about. What he was talking about was the book of Acts where Peter, Paul is shipwrecked and he escapes the shipwreck and floats up onto shore in an island called Malta. Just last year, Renee and I were on a cruise and we went right by that island of Malta. That was quite a moment. I'd like to have stopped, maybe I will next time, but, but the Apostle Paul washed up on shore, and as he is building a fire and gathering sticks, there was a snake there that reached out and bit him. It was a deadly snake, a poisonous snake, and the islanders moved back and said, he's a goner. This snake is the most poisonous we have on this island. That snake bit him on the hand when he was picking up sticks, he's gone. He can't live. But the Bible said Paul shook the snake off into the fire and continued unharmed by that vicious, venomous snake. Now the islanders back up and say, Paul is a god. If he can survive a snake bite like that, he is a god. That's what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about accidents, attacks of the enemy invasions into your world and into your health and your finances and your family where the enemy reaches out and takes a bite out of you and threatens to take you, your family, and the things you love away. That's, that's when Jesus said they'll be bitten by serpents, but it won't harm them. And he said if they drink any deadly thing. Now, nobody with any sense would drink something deadly. I hear about people drinking all kind of stuff to get high on snorting Freon and mixing chemicals together. That is crazy. Putting stuff like that in your body, what is wrong with you? Nobody would do that. What he was saying was, if accidentally or, or by some way you drink something, put something in your body that's not helpful but it's harmful and you don't realize it, God said my hand of protection and my hand of covering is going to be upon you and that thing that would have killed you is not going to kill you. 
He's talking about living at a level of faith where you're protected by God. And when life happens and accidents and attacks and crazy stuff goes on, that God said, I'll be there and I'll walk you through it and you'll come out the other side and you'll be the statistic that nobody expected. And so we are challenged to live as believers, not to live in the supernormal but to live in the supernatural. Can you say amen? And he rebuked them simply because they weren't operating on the right level of faith. The last thing he said was, and you'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Everybody say recover. Throughout the book of the New Testament, we see where people were instantly healed. That's called a miracle, instantly. But in this verse, he talks about recovery. There's a lot of difference in a miracle that happens instantly and a recovery. Jesus said, you'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So you've got a terrible, terrible flu, but we're going to lay your, our hands on you and you're going to start to get well and in pretty soon you're going to be great. You have a cancer. This cancer is threatening your life. But we're laying hands on you, and we're rebuking that cancer, and we're speaking life and health into your body, and you're going to recover from that cancer. You're not going to be a cancer survivor. You're going to be a cancer victor, and you're going to live a long life, and you're going to do well. You're probably going to take medicine, and you're probably going to go to the doctor, and you may have surgeries, and God knows what else they may do to help you. But at the end of the day, God said, when you pray over them, they're going to recover. They're going to recover. They're going on with life. And this is the level that God wants us to live on. I'm going to have to go to the fourth person that I wanted to talk about uh, at the table and this person is a, a foreigner, a foreigner, someone that was of a different ethnicity than Jesus and the apostles who were Israeli. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, listen carefully, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the crumb, the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out, and her daughter was lying on the bed. So it's a, it's a, it's a unique answer that Jesus gave. He said, uh, she said, heal my daughter. I mean, that's, that's what he did. That's just what he did was heal people. That's what he did was cast out demons. He raised it. That's what he did. Countless numbers of people. And then this lady comes up and said, heal my daughter. He says, no. Nope. You're the wrong ethnicity. You're Greek. You're a Syrophoenician woman, and I've just been sent to the house of Israel, and you don't qualify. And she said, but Master, I understand that I'm of another ethnicity and that you came to the Israeli people. But she said, even the dogs can eat the crumbs that fall from your table. Jesus said, go your way, your daughter's healed. And she was. I think about how many people would have been offended by his first response and walked away angry, hurt, and mad and never have gotten what they really came there for would allow themselves to be offended and deeply insulted, would have responded in a very reactionary way and, and, and left there without getting what they went for. But somehow this woman overlooked an obvious insult. She overlooked an obvious rejection and said, I don't care about that. 
I just have a daughter that's sick, and I'll do anything. I'll take anything. You can say anything you want. But I know you have the power to heal my daughter, and I want her healed. There are scores of people not in the house of God this morning that love God, love Jesus, believe in Him, but they're not in the house of God today because they got hurt in church. Something happened, pastor, the people, I don't know, it happens, they got hurt. So they pull back, and they're by the scores there at home today, and they're not in the house of God, not because they're bad people. They just allowed an offense to stand in their way of being the person they want to be and the, living the life they want to live. You see, Jesus, I believe, put an obstacle in her way. He put an offense right there to see if she was going to let that offense stop her from receiving what she came for. And it seems like when people start coming to the Lord and drawing close to Him and reaching out to God, there will always be those opportunities for offense. And if they allow those offenses to get in the way, they will never get what God has for them. I want to encourage you to don't let anything stop you from coming to the table of the Lord. Don't let anything stop you from pursuing God with all of your heart. Offenses happen. Offenses occur. People get hurt. You're sure to be one of them. But you cannot let those offenses deter you from getting from God what you need and being the person that you want to be. I think about people that were hurt in church. I think about people that had sin in their lives, and they didn't want to face it, so they just stay home. I think about people that have strong flesh, that are a little bit lazy, they just simply don't want to pay the price. I think about others that don't go to church because it costs money. They really don't want to have to give in the offering every time. I think about people that don't go to church because of the pressure to change and do better and straighten up and be what you can be. And after a while, they just get sick of that and decide to stay away. I think about people that love the house of God, but they have problems and they have trouble and they have sickness and they have tough situations that pull them out of the house of God. They long for the house of God. They long to be back there, but they've got things going on that prevent them. Whatever it is, you've got to make certain that nothing is hindering or preventing you from being at the table of the Lord. And understand there's all kind of reasons to not go, but there are an eternal reasons for making sure you have your place. Just think about the crumbs, the crumbs. This woman said, I may not be good enough to sit up at the table I may not can reach out and, and begin to feast on all the things that you have to offer. But around every table, there are crumbs. And I'm asking you for just some crumbs. I'm convinced that there are believers all over this great country. That are wasting things, ignoring things not taking advantage of God's blessing and His goodness while others are just begging for some crumbs. It's a cruel world out there. Life is tough. The world is mean and heartless. Sometimes the devil can make it look good, but when you really get there, you find out it's empty. It's brutal. Painful. It's a war. I just believe there's millions of people in America that if they knew what you have in your heart, what you're enjoying in life, they'd be here. They'd be here just for the crumbs, just the leftovers, the things we might waste. Healing is the children's bread. Healing is the children's bread. It's our right. It's our privilege. It could be emotional healing. We're damaged as children and young adults. We go through things in life like being fired off of a job or maybe going through a divorce or the betrayal of a good friend. We get emotionally bruised and wounded. But healing is the children's bread. You see, Christians get hurt and beaten and banged around on like everybody else. But the big difference is always we get over it. 
we get well. We go on. And somehow might be a little better because of it. But I meet people all the time. They, they, they don't get well. They go through things, but they never get over it. They never get healed. Healing is the children's bread. It could be in your emotional realm. It could be in your physical realm. It could be in relationships. You know, um, in the course of my life, I've broken a number of bones. Hands, feet, arms, legs. Broken all that somewhere along the way, doing this or that. They all healed. On my hands, a couple other places on my body, I've got scars. High school, I was severely burned, still wear a large scar on my right arm here. I've got places on my hands where I was cut very deeply. That time happened to be a glass that broke while I was washing it. Got shot by a BB gun right there, and I've still got a scar where the BB gun embedded in my knuckle. And So, you know, all those are marks that remind me of something in my life. But every one of those heal. They all heal. Can you imagine what it'd be like if, if your body didn't have healing in it? <clears throat> I went for a medical procedure this Monday, and they stuck a hole in me and took some blood out. And I commented there, I said, you know, if God hadn't put healing in my body, that hole you just stuck in my arm would never heal. I'd be leaking blood from now on. But God put healing. So in a matter of hours, that, that wound she put in my vein was totally healed because God put healing in us it's a children's bread and whatever you're going through in life and what you've been wounded by it's your it's it's just it's just here it's just in you it's just part of what God does he heals so you can go on sometimes our wounds are self-inflicted we do things that plague us for days weeks months and maybe even years regrets that just build up the pain of knowing we screwed up, and the cost was great. But even from that, God heals. And I just sense today that God wants to heal some people. But you're just beating yourself up over the regrets you have. God wants to heal that so you won't suffer from self-inflicted wounds anymore. I'm going to ask my prayer partners to come forward. I'm going to open these altars today. And if you need help from God concerning anything, please come forward. It could be something in the realm of your finances. You could have some tremendous challenges financially that you're facing. You could also have the greatest opportunity of a lifetime. You need some investors. We want to pray with you. It could be something relational, your family, your marriage, your friends, I don't know. It could be something very physical very physical. Something in your body is not right. Something you need help concerning God. It could be in your future. A decision you need to make. A direction you need to take. Grace you need to have. Know-how, wisdom, all these things. It could be your future. And I want to pray for you. These altars are open. I've got some wonderful people here that know how to pray with you about anything you need. You come down and you say, please pray for me about this or that. You don't have to tell us private things or details. Just give us a general category. Believe me, God knows all the details, and he's going to do all the work anyway. But we're a point of contact. And when you walk down this aisle and we pray with you, God's going to do something marvelous and wonderful for you. Let's stand, and if you need prayer ministry, come forward right now. This altar is open.